what is our position as Christians in these times? You know, the church has always been, for 2,000 years, in the midst of different, uh, different eras, different times, and they've always have been persecuted. We've always been uh, looked upon as, uh, as different, and we are. In fact, if you, if you read the King James Version, the Apostle Peter calls us a peculiar people. Which doesn't mean uh, somebody that's weird. It means a peculiar set apart. We should be set apart. And the church has gone through so many different ages in 2,000 years. You get the Dark Ages. You have this and that. You have the Reformation. You have all these different ages. The Inquisitions and all this. And the true church, the true body of Christ, has always stayed the same. And that is to be a witness for him, an ambassador for him, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, Jesus said, teaching them all things I have commanded you. You know, baptizing them, making disciples, and lo, I'm with you until when? The end of the age. And then we see today that a large part of this church, not, not the foundation of life, when I say this church, I mean the whole professing church, has adopted this view that somehow this is different. Somehow we're to be different in this age. Somehow we're not to quite take the, uh, the Great Commission seriously. Or, or maybe even we're not, we're not you know, does, does Christ really mean what he says he means about his hatred of sin in our daily life? Yes. But how should we then be living? Francis Schaeffer made that, uh, that, that quote popular when he wrote his book. You know, true spirituality. How then should we be living? I think he even named a book after that. He was just echoing what shepherds down the ages have been saying to those that have sit before him. In the light of what's going on, whether it's in the 6th century, whether it's in the 18th century, whether it's in the 21st century. As the remnant of Jesus Christ, how then should we be living? You know, I want to really put three, just three scriptures before you. Read them very slow, very plain. Let them speak for themselves. And then I want to end up in the Second Timothy chapter 2 passage. The first one I want to talk about real briefly is in Proverbs chapter 27. You don't have to turn there if you don't, if you don't want to. If you do, fine. But if you, if you can't turn without being distracted, don't turn. I want to, this is, is something that, that I am very, very serious about. We, we, I had Janae the other day move uh, our urgent message on January 1st of this year. I felt that God was, was calling me to speak about uh, how a lot of the churches left their first love. And remember we talked about in, in Revelation chapter 2 how Jesus was talking to the church at Ephesus. So right under our, on our face, our home page of our, of, our, uh, of our website, right under our invitation, our gospel invitation, she did a wonderful job of moving that message right down below. So people that get on the website, the first thing they will see is that gospel invitation. A 20-minute long exhortation of the plain gospel, the way that Paul laid it out. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and three days later he rose again according to the scripture. By this gospel we stand 
And by this gospel, we are saved. And then right below it, she had moved that. It's just entitled an urgent message. I'm very serious about these things because I, I see a trend going on. And as a shepherd of this congregation, I want us to be fully aware that our mandate has not changed. Christ is purifying his bride. He loves his bride. He is so intricately involved in some of us. Uh, I think sometimes after the people I've talked to over the last several years, you get the kind of indication that, that the church is just there. It's kind of, you know, hanging out. It's, it's doing its business. It's, but we saw in the church in Ephesus, for example, they were doing their business. They were staying steadfast. They could recognize false doctrine and all that. But what happened? They left their first love. And that's very, very grieving to the Lord's heart. And it's very serious to him. Because he loves us more than we understand. And he is intimately involved in his bride constantly. Brethren, constantly, day and night. There is not a moment that you and I are awake before we close our eyes and sleep that he is not intricately involved in our lives. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I'll go through these a couple times. The second one I'm looking at is James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. I'm sorry, what was that? James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Very famous passage. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I purposely stop there because the next verse states, When Christ appears, brethren, you and I will appear with him in glory. It has not changed. Our situation as a church, as a follower of Jesus Christ in this 21st century, has not changed. Don't think that just because an administration changed, although, praise God, things have changed. 
We are called for a purpose here. Some of us live as if tomorrow's going to come and we we want to put our self-interest and our best in tomorrow. But the Bible says all through, it's just not a New Testament uh, probability, but the Bible states all through that we don't know what a day may bring forth. Then there's those that in the church that say, come on, such and such a, you know, we'll go to such and such a city, we'll build here, we'll spend a year, we'll buy and sell, we'll make profit, we'll do all that. But you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's go one step further than that. What's your life? Your life is a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It appears for just a little time. And then it vanishes away. But as a Christian, as one born of Jesus Christ, God came into this world for you and I. We must never lose sight of that. He did not come into the world, and this will raise eyebrows, he did not come into the world to be a moral teacher. As we've talked about, although he did. He did not come about to put down moral principles, although he did. He came into this world for you and me. He came into this world for Mike, for Cam. He came into this world for Janet. He came in this world for Don, for Patty, for Barb, for Leon, for Frank, for Sheila, for Jeff. For, he came into the world for Jerry and Gail, for Dina. And last but not least, I saved this one most importantly. He came in the world for you, my friend. How are the, we then living if he came into the world for us? There's a reason for that. He shed his blood and suffered on the cross for the ones that I have just mentioned, his true body. He died for the sins of the world, but those that would receive the gift of that sacrifice became his. This is the day that counts. Because we don't know about tomorrow. So, are we flirting with sin? Let's get rid of it. Are we? Do we have an individual that we cannot forgive? Let's go to the Lord and get rid of it. Do we have something in our life that's taking more precedent and it's causing us worry, sin, and sorrow? Let's come to the Lord and get rid of it. And... This will all hopefully come together. The only thing that matters is living for the one that bought you. You know, you and I have been bought with a price. And the Bible says we need to glorify God on our body and our spirit, which are God's. That's what the full implication of there means. Okay, sometimes the Bible in, in, in different language includes everything, you know. Sometimes the, the Bible includes in the body, the soul, and the spirit. Sometimes it's specific 
And like, you know, when it's saying it divides the soul and the spirit. But when Christ came and purchased you, my friend, he purchased not only everything. <laughs> not only your body, but your soul, your spirit, your mind. What's your God's? What are you doing with it? What are we doing with it? If then you were raised with Christ, we're admonished to seek those things which are above and where Christ is sitting. Do you know where your position is right now in Christ? We, you all answer that right now in, in your own mind. Your position right now, if you are a born-again Christian, I'll tell you where your position is. Your position is in the heavenlies with Christ. That's your position. Before I go on, how are you living? How are you living? How are you then living? If that's your position, are you living like your position's down here? Are you living like you have so many days and, and, and whatnot? Only you can answer that question. But if you if we realize that is our position right now, it's not something that we attain in the future. Because we know that the Bible states that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. And we rose from the dead with him and we are in him and our position is with him in the heavenlies. He's there as a forerunner for us. He's already there. But that's our position as born again ones in Jesus Christ. And he's coming back. So that is your true position. If you don't know that before, you know that now. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 makes that very plain in other places. As Christ was, Christ was raised from the dead and, and he ascended to the Father above all principality and power and everything that is named in this age, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. In other words, he is preeminent. Brethren, he wants to be preeminent in your life. Is he? It's a challenge. And I think for most of us here at the Foundation of Life, He is. I don't know. But I know those that are listening to me now, there's a lot of people that are struggling. How come I feel defeated all the time? How come I just can't seem to get a grasp on this Christian joy that I hear so much about? In fact, how come I read the Word and I, I just feel like, like it's, it's, it's not speaking to me anymore? If you've then been raised with Christ, start seeking those things that are above. Get your mind off of the things that are on this earth and start getting them on where they should be. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our life now. In fact, Christ came down and he died. It's a mystery. The, the, age, the, the church is a mystery hidden in ages past. Reading it in the book of Ephesians, it'll explain it all out. It's a, it's a mystery that's been hidden in ages past. But you know what the mystery is, too, when Christ came down? It's the hope of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, you in Christ, the hope of glory. It's something we set our mind on. It's something, what do you hope for? My hope is nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He is coming back for me. But what does that do for me now? That not only purifies my life now, but I realize that my position is in Jesus Christ. When we start meditating on, on the Word of God, we realize, and you'll know right, right away, 
if you search with him with all your heart, if your position is in Christ, brethren, what are you doing today? How are you living today? Are you setting your mind on things above? Are you setting your mind on Christ? Or on thing, or on they on this earth that tangle you up, worry you, cause you distress, cause you uh, anxiety? There are those that are listening to me now that are so bound up in anxiety, worry, depression, fear, that they cannot begin to untangle this mess they've gotten themselves into. Brethren, as the body of Christ, I'm here to tell you the mess has been entangled. If we would look at, unto Him, if we would set our mind above and not things on the earth, if we would know that every day is a precious gift from God, and that's all He asks us to do, is look at the immediate time before us. God never asks us to worry about tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6 plainly puts that out. Jesus says plainly not to worry. Each day has enough evil of its own. If we are trusting in Christ, we are not worrying. But if we are worrying, we are not trusting. The two are exclusive. They cannot come together. So again, I will, before we get into our text, I will run through these again. You think about these. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. But your Lord does. Your Lord knows the day that if he doesn't come back and snatch you away first, the day that you are going to walk off this earth. Think about that. He knows the exact second, the day, you will leave this earth. He's got you in the palm of his hands, the Bible says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. This is a man or a woman that has their mind set on what I can do here. And by the way, nothing here lasts. Nothing here ever produces what it says it's going to produce. You could go out and you could justify sex all you want, or sexual immorality all you want. It will never, ever deliver what it promises. Never. It promises freedom and happiness and joy and conquest, but what it delivers is heartache, separation, divorce, let alone separation from fellowship with your Lord. Riches, oh, if I could just make enough money to get over that money issue. The Bible says that don't set your mind on certainty of riches. They make themselves wings like an eagle that fly away to heaven. <clears throat> prestige, that's all I want is prestige. So when I walk around town, people know who I am. Jesus said, when you do that, you'll get your immediate reward, that immediate applause, or whatever, and that's it. Here today and gone tomorrow. It's like a bag of wind. It does not last. None of it satisfies. None of it delivers what it's told to deliver. But the true Christian, the one who knows Christ, we can grab substance in, in right now. 
leaving our future to Him. I don't have to go around seeking such and such a city to make a profit there, because not only do I not know if I have that time to do it, but I don't know if that's my Lord's will. If the Lord will, the Bible says at the as that passage in James goes on, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this, this, and this, and this. Our life is in his hands. Let's live that way. People say, well, wait a minute, that's not a good idea. You can't plan for the future. I didn't say that. Do we not plan for the future when we hear the word of God? Do we not plan for the future when we grow in Him? Are we not planning for the future when we rightly divide the word of truth? Are we not planning for the future when we live for somebody else's sake and not our own? Do we not live for the future when we, when we anticipate wait the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we not live for the future and plan for the future when we teach our family how to love? Do we not live for the future when we teach each other, and especially from the pulpit pastors, to look for the Lord's return, to purify your life, to get rid of sin, to take the Bible and treat the Bible just like you would if Jesus Christ was sitting here? He's the living word. This is his word. We need to revere it, respect it, to believe it. Not question it. Not if it doesn't fit in our little regime, we throw it out as either myth or, you know, well, that's your interpretation. That's one of the, one of the devil's greatest uh, things that he teaches people to throw off, not have, have accountability with the word. Well, that's the way you interpret it. No, everybody has responsibility to sit before the word and have the Lord teach them the word. Yes, we do plan for the future. But we plan for the future, and it all revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ and what He wants. And then the Bible says, then the joy really starts coming in. Do you realize when you read uh, Jesus' word in John 13 through 17, that He talks about fruit bearing, He talks about joy, and He talks about peace. And they're all intermixed together. You cannot bear fruit unless you're abiding in Him. You cannot have peace and fulfillment unless you're abiding in Him. You cannot have the joy and the, un and the unstoppable fellowship of the Father and the Son. That, that He said they will come and make their abode unless we are abiding in Him, confessing our sins, walking before Him in purity and light. That's when we have joy. What we've discussed briefly this morning is why a lot of people don't like to go to church because it hurts. It gets them out of their comfort zone. That's what Christ does. But he does it for your benefit. He does it because he loves you. He does it because he doesn't want to see you sitting in that same old boat with that pinhole and after time it's going to sink. He wants to rescue you from that whole Holdrum life, if you will, of, wow, what do I do tomorrow? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but are you fulfilled? 
Is your life full of anticipation? Do you know that a lot of people don't understand the scripture where Jesus said, I came to give life? They understand that, eternal life. But then he says, I came to give life abundantly. He came to give life to the full. The Bible says that we are complete in him. Most people walk around with the fragmented, you know, puzzles that are missing four or five pieces out of it. That can't be made complete because there's a few pieces missing. God doesn't make mistakes. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting. That's a lot of our problem. We're looking around and all that produces is uncertainty and fear and worry and anxiety. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, starting verse 15, we'll be going through uh, verse 26 real quick. Now in light of what we said before, and, and in light of what we've, we've talked about briefly uh, just before, look at verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And the message will spread like, can- like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, verse 20, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter the dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee, also, verse 22, youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with who those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, or must not be quarrelsome, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God, perhaps, will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is an interesting passage, and I just want to allude on it just real briefly again from what we have said before in the last couple minutes before this. You know, you all know that in chapter 3 it goes on to say, talk about perilous times. It goes on to talk about specifically people that you're going, that's not me. That can't be me. What's he talking about here? Look at the list real quick. 
Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Men will be lovers of themselves. Their time is more important. Their direction is more important. Their interests are more important. They're more important. Lovers of money. I can't, I don't have the time, and it's not in this message this morning, to talk about the destructiveness that is brought on unto uh, regarding the church of Jesus Christ. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. By the way, in that third verse, I like the translation, unforgiving, irreconcilable. Think about that. Irreconcilable. Unloving, again, irreconcilable, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despises of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. You think, that cannot be me. That cannot be in the church of Jesus Christ. That cannot be those. Really? Look what Paul says in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, the world outside does not have a form of godliness. They can care less. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, turn away. He goes on down to verse 8, talked about Janice and Jambres, who were probably musicians in Pharaoh's court, when Moses and Aaron went there and did all did their miracles, they could duplicate them only so far. That's what a lot of people in the professing church do. They provide you know, a, a mimicking of a Christian only so far. But character and love is what constitutes a Christian, one who knows Christ. But let's get back to our passage. So we've seen the great contrast between those who profess and those that possess the inward life of Christ. Let's get back again to our text real quick. We're almost done. I don't want to to take a long time on this this morning. But remember our three scriptures, Proverbs 27, 1, James 14, 13, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, when we go through these things. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. Are we doing that? Are we getting into the Word of God? A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, or accurately, accurately handling the Word of Truth. You know what that says right there? We're serious about it. This is God's Word. Well, yeah, I know, you know, Jesus is the living Word. I read that in John 1, you know. In the beginning was the word, the word with God, the word was God, and you know, so forth and so forth. Really? Well, what are we doing with the written word of God? To be diligent is to have it your number one priority. To accurately or rightly dividing the truth means that we must take time in it and that it's important to us. God has said certain things. We don't listen to the devil and say, well, you know, that's your interpretation. You know, don't tell me that I got, you know, to cleanse myself and that I, I might be in <clears throat> sin because, you know, don't tell me that. That's your interpretation. Don't believe the devil when he comes to you and says, that. well, that's your interpretation. Well, then give me a better one. Offer me your interpretation. 
You know, the worst fallacy in a believer's life is that they can go years and years in Jesus Christ and never be settled on an issue. We're to be diligent. Students of the Word of God. I heard an old-time pastor one time after many, many, many years behind the pulpit says, if I leave here in death or just or leave here, and I have not impressed the fact that we are all responsible for rightly dividing the word of truth and getting into it and, and, and being absorbed in it, let it be absorbed in us, I have not done my job as a shepherd. To be diligent. To rightly divide this wonderful word. God has something to say to you every time you open the word of God. But see, students that don't, that don't have the purpose and don't have the direction, they're not going to look at that. They're, they're, you know, their Bible's going to hang out for a while and sometimes they'll get interested or they'll go to, you know, they'll hear a good message and they'll get interested for a while and then that'll kind of wane and other interests come in. No, we will see that today in the second part of this morning when we get in 1 John. It's the abiding in Jesus Christ. Even the Spirit himself teaches us to abide in Christ. Look at verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. You know, contrary to popular belief, people really don't care about your opinions. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody has one. If opinion is not based on the word of God, I don't want to listen to it. Because I don't have time to build my mind, build my life on opinions or philosophies. We are to be diligent and build our life on the word of God. Do we realize that every word of God is pure? Can you lay your life down on the word? If you can't, then you need to really reevaluate what is your priority in life. Verse 17 says in their message, what message? Their message in verse 16, their idle, vain babblings, their philosophies, their, their, their stories, this is what I think, their message will spread like cancer or gangrene. These two people that he's talking about in this verse were of that sort. They strayed from concerning the truth. They're saying that the resurrection is already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. It is impossible, Tim LaHaye writes, for there to be a spiritual resurrection, since resurrection, by definition, always refers to the raising of the body. But these men don't take the word of God and rightly divide it. These men spew out all kinds of different things. And by the way, as we're seeing today, you might not realize that there is a cult that comes to your door every once in a while that the Bible talks about as being extremely dangerous, and I'll name one of them, Jehovah's Witnesses. Extremely dangerous. And we say, well, you know, there, and, I, and, I've, and I've been in this, in this boat as myself. They come around so often, they're just, oh, well, they're just kind of nuisances, you know. And you kind of flick them off. But these men were rightly divine the word of truth, and they, because it wasn't a big deal in their life. It was, it was a sort of gain to them. Instead of, what can I, I want to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to learn his word that what's pleasing to him and follow him and do the things that please him. They're using it for what can I get out of it. Whether it's filthy uh, lucre or whatever. And they say that this message is going to spread like gangrene. 
because they have not made it their priority. And they overthrow the faith of some. Let me tell you, folks, there's more pastors out there that you would want to care to know that have overthrown the faith of some. Overthrown it. And then there's that thing that says, well, my pastor says it, so it must be true. He went to seminary. Or my, my pastor said it must be true. He's been in the Lord for 35 years. If, if, if anybody ought to know, he ought to know. But here's where we turn and where I want to talk, really talk this morning and end. Verse 19. I'll end it here in a little bit. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I know this is going on out there. This grieves the Lord out there. This is probably three quarters of the Christian church out there. But nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. That is absolutely wonderful. The Lord knows that I am his. And I will use me as an example. The Lord knows that I am his. Think about that for a minute. That changes, that's a game changer for for an exciting phrase nowadays. That changes everything. The Lord knows that I am his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, the man or woman that knows that they belong to Jesus Christ will depart from iniquity, will understand that there is the deceivableness of sin the Bible talks about that creeps in to life. And when we are abiding in Christ and we know The Lord knows that I am His. And so now, this changes everything. Because I am going to depart from iniquity. I am going to to be so consumed with pleasing Him and walk. I want joy. Do you not want joy? Who does not want joy? Jesus promises that His joy would be in us and our joy would be depart from iniquity and he illustrates this in a great house verse 20 there are not only vessels of gold and silver and by the way this is what's going to happen when we stand before this judgment seat of Christ Paul talks about we're going to have work somebody people have works of hay wood and stubble they're going to go up like that and then there's going to be works of precious stones, gems, you know, that are going to stand the fire of Christ. And those are the rewards that we will receive. Everything's burned off and so forth. So you see this, this understanding of language has a very serious connotation. So there are vessels in this house of gold and silver, but there are also uh, of wood and clay. Some of these, the the gold and silver for honor, but yet some of these of the wood and clay are for dishonor. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from the wood, hay, stubble, dishonor, vessels that don't bring honor to the house, if somebody cleanses himself, he will become a vessel for honor. 
He will become a vessel that shines for Jesus Christ, that's filled with Christ, that has the, the fellowship of Christ, that has the joy in the midst of, of whatever circumstance. It doesn't really matter. Because the joy of Christ is, is not dependent on circumstance. But he is a vessel for honor. Let me tell you something. When you have precious possessions, whether it's, uh, whether it's whatever it may be in your house, you take care of them. You polish them, you know, and you, you take care of them, and they bring honor to the house. I was reminded of a story when Donald Gray Barnhouse used to live in an old 17th century farmhouse outside of uh, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And he, a lot of people would come in through there. One of, his, one of the things that he liked to do was to take them to a tour of the house, and they can see he had old china and stuff that people have given through the years they've collected from way back, hundreds of years. And, and the, the vessels of honor, he was proud to show them off. That's what we are. That we, when we come to Christ and we, we, we know that we are His, and we know that He is ours, we cleanse ourselves and depart from iniquity, we become those vessels in the house that bring honor, that bring glory. You know, they're not just something that's sitting there of, of none effect. There's another churchgoer, he's another hypocrite. But they're people that are really changed for the master's use. They become vessels for honor now. And let me tell you something. We have a part in that. Okay? We can go on our stubborn way and fight God all the way and be in misery. We have one foot in the Bible, one foot in the world. We're miserable. We don't understand why nothing makes sense. We don't understand why that, that things, bad things keep happening to us. What's the use of that? See, the Christian that is in Jesus Christ, when trials come their way, they look at it totally different than one who is either a lukewarm or not a Christian. Think about that. How do you view trials? You know, it's, I think it's right sometimes that when trials come in, we think, wow, you know, they're just really coming in. Uh, are they going to stop? God says he will never allow trials to come into your life that you finally just break and can't handle it. He is teaching you something. Trials are for our good. We want to be sanctified. How do we do that? Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. Flee them. Has the decision been made in your heart when temptation comes, you're going to deal with it by taking it to Christ? Has that decision been made? If it has not been made, make it right now. Make the decision that when temptation comes your way, you will deal with it according to the Word of God. That you will not give in to it. If sexual temptation comes your way, don't give in to it. If, if the temptation comes to take your eyes off your wife and put them on another woman, don't do it. Make that decision now, because if you don't make it now, you're not going to be able to do it in the heat of temptation. I guarantee you. Make it your understanding now and your decision now that when you are on the internet and something pops up where you, you have made that decision. That's not where I'm going. David says, I walked in my house with integrity. I have set nothing clean before my eyes. Whatever the temptation is, and temptations will hit you more times than you think they do. When the temptation is to get angry, 
or to not forgive or whatever. Make that decision right now, solid in your life, that when that comes in, the, te- the decision has been made. When I am tempted, I go to my Lord and I leave that with Him. He will deliver me. I want to be a vessel unto His good work. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace without, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, you cannot have pure heart Desire, unless you realize back in verse 19 that God knows those that are His, that we depart from iniquity, that we cleanse ourselves. In other words, we are a, a vessel for God's use. I am that house. You are that house. We've been bought with a price. We are His temple. He lives within us. Are we going to have it filled with, with stuff that doesn't make any any? Uh, any honor to those? I want somebody that views me not to go, Jeff is a great guy. I want them to, to see Jesus Christ. When somebody comes into, into church or when we sit here and we get, I don't want them to go, wow, you know, Jeff knows a lot about the word. And a lot of people do. The temptation to go, you know, want to have everything right and be, you know, uh, be exacting and have everybody go, wow, that guy's really a great guy, you know. I want people to hear the word of God and be changed by it and follow Christ and love him and see him. When I want, you know, I love my wife and I want my wife to love me. But when it all comes down and at the end of the day, what I want is I want my wife to see Christ in me. Because if she doesn't, I have my temporary, oh, Jeff, he's such a wonderful guy and a good husband. But what's going to last for eternity is if, if God changes her life because she sees Christ in me. And that's what the whole deal of this life is. Get your mind off of you. Get your mind off your circumstances and your everyday life and put them on Christ. And He should be number one. People should be seeing Him and glorifying Him because of you. That's what an ambassador is. That's what we're called to do. Can you imagine living a life like that, seeing Christ <laughs> for the first time? I never never forget when, when my sister passed away. The first, one of the first things I thought about is, she's seeing Jesus. Wow. There's no more time in her life to go, God, just give me ten more years. I'm going to get it right this time. She's seeing Jesus Christ. Brethren, we have an opportunity to allow the Lord to do His work in our life, to be cleansed of all that we that doesn't make it's not profitable. It's not profitable as an ambassador. It's not profitable as a witness. It's not profitable in our growth. But what overshadows all that? It's not profitable and pleasing our Lord. Let's depart from iniquity. Okay, let's see sin for what it really is. It's it's deceitful. It's the deceivableness of sin that entangles us. There are some that are listening to this that that will mock at that won't consider it. But I believe there are some that are going, you know, I I I'm starting to understand 
that there is an answer for my depression. There is an answer for my lethargic attitude. There is an answer for being lukewarm. You know, there's nothing more miserable in this life than a half-hearted Christian. And if we would just start departing from iniquity, naming the name of Christ, willing and being an able vessel of Him to clean our life, to live and reign and do what He pleases. And look at today. Live for today. That sounds funny, but we need to live and let the Lord, whatever our thing is today, whatever God puts in front of us, whatever we need to hear, let us not put off tomorrow what we can do today and live for Him. If you haven't told your wife or your spouse or your husband that you love them yet today, do it. If you haven't shown your kids in, in you know, a lot of people don't have kids, or a lot of kids are far away like mine are, does that mean that we don't have anything to do with them? How many times do we pray for our kids? How many times do we lift up our kids in prayer? And then when they call, we're an encouragement to them and not, not something else. Father, I thank you for this message this morning. I believe it is urgent. I believe it is necessary because I believe that so much of this professing Christian church has fallen asleep. And I am absolutely in wonderment why you would choose congregations like the Foundation of Life to be a part of your remnant, a part of your body. That is so exciting to me. I pray that today would be the first day of the rest of our Christian life that we realize that this stands sure. The Lord knows those that are His. Lord Jesus, I know that I am Yours. And that changes everything. Have Your way in our lives. Have Your way in those that truly desire to seek You and You alone. And I anticipate the second part of this morning as we're in 1 John, that we would see the seriousness and the absolute joy and privilege it is to abide in Jesus Christ. Amen.